This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 186. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. Well, this is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk to Martin Kate. He's the owner of Smuggler's Cove, which was awarded Best American Cocktail Bar at Tales of the Cocktail this year at the Spirited Awards. That's pretty serious. He wrote a great book by the same name, Smuggler's Cove, and that'll be our book of the week. And it's a fabulous book. Besides lots of great cocktail recipes, uh, tiki cocktail recipes, there's also a lot of great knowledge in here. There's a section about understanding rum, the history of tiki, tiki technique, and uh, a little bit about uh, about Martin's journey, which is quite interesting. We're going to find out more about that when we talk to Martin. Before we talk to Martin, let's do a cocktail of the week. And we'll do the Mai Tai this week. And... Uh, Martin's got a great recipe in his book for uh, the Smuggler's Cove book uh, for the Mai Tai. Uh, of course, he didn't invent it, but I don't want to quote his recipe word for word, but uh, we'll kind of paraphrase it. So uh, three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice, one quarter ounce of a rich, simple syrup he makes. Uh, well, you're going to have to buy the book to get the recipe for his rich, simple syrup, but he's using demerara, sh- uh, demerara sugar and uh, it's a rich, simple syrup, so that's two to one uh, sugar to water. And he's got a little vanilla in there and some salts, which is cool. And uh, one quarter ounce of orgeat, or as uh, or some people say, orgeat, <laughs> orgeat syrup. There's a lot of good orgeats out there. You can make your own, but it's a lot of work. Uh, Small Hand Foods makes a good one, and uh, there, there's some good ones out there. But uh, that's a quarter ounce of that. Uh, half an ounce of dry curacao. Uh, I actually use mandolin, uh, mandarin Napoleon liqueur, orange liqueur. Uh, that's what I used. And uh, two ounces of a blend, blended aged rum. So... Uh, yeah, I think the the choice of rum here makes a huge difference. Uh, obviously, that's the biggest quantity of uh, liquor or of uh, liquid in your in your drink. So uh, that makes a big difference. Uh, you're gonna want something pretty uh, pretty funky, pretty uh, pretty flavorful for this drink. So uh, you're gonna shake that with a bunch of crushed ice. And uh, Martin suggests you add a couple of big ice cubes in there to, uh, as kind of an agitator. That sounds like a good idea to me. And uh, so you're going to pour that into a double old-fashioned glass and put your spent lime, half a lime, in there that you've used to make your lemon your lime juice and that's a nice garnish and then uh some mint as well so uh yeah the the, the mai tai is a weird drink you know it kind of became ubiquitous for uh to to be called like any sort of sweet semi tiki drink started getting called a mai tai uh, but this is this is the real recipe and it's a great drink all right let's talk to martin kate well, Martin, it's a real pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. You bet. Well, I must say congratulations on um, your success and uh, best American cocktail bar. How about that? That's all, that's really exciting. We were certainly stunned. Um, it was uh, we'd we'd uh, been to the uh, final four a couple times and and never expected it to uh, go any further than that. And uh, it was uh, we were quite uh, quite blown away and 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 very. Uh, and, and very pleasantly surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Well, let me get this straight. You started as a cocktail enthusiast, basically. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I was. I had a home tiki bar, and um, as a lot of folks do, and I and I was. I spent a lot of time digging around and and 
make, trying to make drinks at home and understanding them and, and take them apart. And then the opportunity came up to 10 bar at Trader Vic's. And so I, I jumped on that and then the opportunity came to make my passion, my profession, not very long after that. So it, uh, it, uh, evolved from there. Yeah, but definitely it was, uh, it definitely began life as not just a cocktail enthusiast, but, uh, as a tiki and Polynesian pop enthusiast as well. So, um, that was the, uh, that was the genesis of it. Right, right. That's, that's so cool. I, I think that's kind of an, uh, unusual story that you start as a, uh, enthusiast and end up, uh, you know, owning the world's best cocktail bar <laughs> or America, <laughs> America's best cocktail bar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose that is unusual. You're Right. <laughs> <laughs> From cocktail nerd to bar owner. That's great. <laughs> well, uh, I, I love the book. It's beautiful, first of all, and uh, very comprehensive. It's, you know, from everything from tiki history, history recipes, fo- the photos, of course, are beautiful and a, and a serious lesson on rum. But, um, Absolutely. Yeah. So we had the opportunity to, when this, when this opportunity presented itself to do a book, we, um, and um, we thought about what we would do. And there's you know, lots of great cocktail books out there that are, are really beautiful, you know, pictures, and, and this is our bar, and here's what we do. And I thought, well, that's nice. I could do that, but it, it did feel like it needed something more. So we pushed hard, and we said, well, we really like to make it about three things. Yes, of course, glamour shots of our drinks and how we make them and our ingredients. Um, but also, we wanted to do two more things. And one was to put what we do into the context of Polynesian pop history and where is where this came from, why it looks the way it does, why it feels the way it does, where it, why it faded away, why it came bouncing back, and then and then the third goal was to really try to look at rum and help consumers get a better understanding of the spirit and how it's and how it's um, how it's made and and how to recognize different designs and, and and different styles of rum when you know there's oftentimes not a great deal of information on labels. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think the uh, sort of way most of us came up learning about rum was we had a light rum dark rum, maybe amber, <laughs> but, uh, that, that whole, that's shifted, uh, pretty seriously over the last couple of years, the education on, on the different styles of rum, right? Yeah, it was really, you know, it's, it's done a disservice to the category for years to simply categorize it by color because it doesn't really mean anything. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with, you know, the color may come naturally from aging and oak cast, the color may come from being added. You know, what defines really the, the product is first and foremost, to our mind, is first and foremost the production methodology and secondarily raw material and then aging and color somewhere mighty far down that list. So, you know, it, it's, you know, nobody's ever, nobody ever owes and asked for a, a dark scotch or, or a, a, you know, an amber, te, you know, an amber tequila or something like that. So it's it's this... You know, it was a categorization system that just wasn't doing rum any favors, and we're hoping that it can help. We can help open people's eyes a little bit to more of how it's made and where it's made and why it tastes the way it does as a result. Yeah. So, can, can we talk a little bit about that? The the uh, basically we we start by talking about <clears throat> excuse me the raw materials. So uh, it can most rum is made from molasses, right? But some from sugarcane juice. Right. So. Yeah, the majority of the world's rum is made from molasses. There's a very small amount of rum made from fresh-pressed cane juice, typically in the French islands, Martinique, Marie Galant, um, Reunion, um, Guadeloupe. But the the and then in between, there's a few other things. There's there's evaporated cane juice. There's natural sugars that are you know. But but the point, the number one point being that it's from sugar cane, sugar cane, and sugar cane products. So yeah, in whatever form that may come. Right. And Although it, ideally not refined white sugar because it really doesn't have any soul. Mm, right, right. 
Well, the yeah, the majority are made from molasses, and I, I, I find I prefer that style myself. Yeah, you know, um, molasses is a, is an excellent ingredient as it, as it concentrates a lot of, of flavors and has um, wonderful sort of a minerality to it that can translate uh, nicely through the still. Right. And then the, the second thing we talk about is whether it's made in a column still or a pot still, right? Right. So we want to, I mean, our priority is to talk about is to try to put the language in the terms that, you know, have been known and recognized to scotch whiskey for years of this, you know, that there's a blended scotch whiskey and that there's a single malt or pot still. So we try to use that sort of pot blended column ratio. And then, you know, you could parse out column into traditional two column coffee and multi column industrial um, facilities as well on top of that. But we want people to see, you know, that even though you could look at a list of blended rums, you know, rums made from pot still and traditional coffee still, that even within that category, yeah, structurally they're the same, but there'll be huge variety in flavor owing to the fermentation, the yeast strain, the aging, the blending, um, you, things like that. So it's it's just you know just a, you could say that fundamentally every single malt scotch is produced you know, from the same raw material and in the same kind of equipment, but that there's huge variety within that category as well. Right, right. And then, of, of course, the aging comes into play as well. Absolutely. Where you age, how you age, the kind of wood you're using, is it used bourbon, is it new oak? There's a, you know, that all these, all these choices that a producer makes uh, lend, lend, you know, a part of the, add part of the flavor. I mean, but, and so much of it is, but so much of it is fermentation and the distillation. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, I didn't know this till I read it in your book, uh, unfortunately, flavored rums uh, account for more than 50% of rum sales now, huh? It is enormous. According to the last thing I read from Discus, yes, showed that it's uh, an enormous uh, volume. And it's really a shame because as so many of these flavored rums are, you know, they're just synthetic flavorings in, in basically neutral spirits. There's no real, there's very little, you know, real rum there or even real, or even real spices. So lots of American micro distilleries are making their own spiced rums and and being you know of, of a craft ethos, they're using real spices and things like that. So you can find a lot of really interesting and and diverse spiced rums in the American micro distill category, but in the big categories, no, it's it's pretty disappointing on the whole. Yeah, yeah. I always say, you know, if somebody wants a uh, when the subject of flavored vodka say comes up, you know, I'm like, you want orange flavored vodka? I can make that happen for you. I'm a bartender. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have orange juice yeah. and vodka. It's the easiest thing to make, or the uh, the zest of the orange. I mean, there you go. It doesn't take long at all. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the the history of tiki. It's kind of uh, it's always thought of kind of. Uh, kitschy and uh and and fun but i think you said in your book uh you know it can be fun but still taken seriously right <laughs> right no i mean you know we 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 think that the we think that the the that the the art and the the history and the heritage of of polynesian pop in america is 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 really you know it's an it's a mid-century pop art movement and that the that the carvings the paintings the music the cocktails all these things are to be taken together and and we think they're really, you know, we really think they're beautiful pieces. We really think that it shows great skill and great creativity in all of these different um, artistic disciplines. But it's the, um, you know, and but you know, like I said, if your guest comes, you know, if, if your guest comes in and all just thinks it's a big laugh, 
fine with me. I mean, you know, they're they're smiling. That's that's great. That's what we're here for. We're here to put a smile on your face. But you know, the best tiki bars are the ones executed where are the ones that are executed where the 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 builders and the designers take it seriously and don't think it, it's a big joke and don't put cartoonish you know silly plastic party supply stuff around and and, and think that that's good enough right so right. I mean it's you know people people may walk into your to your venue and they may look around and they may not understand the origin of this particular mask or this particular weapon or how this top of cloth was made or anything else that may not mean anything to them you know individually these pieces but what people do recognize is quality. People do recognize that hey, this is this looks like somebody actually took out a chisel and 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 made this. This looks like somebody really painted this with a brush. I mean, it's, it's art. It's not you know, it's not it's just not mass produced junk. Mm. So that's the you know that's what no matter what you do, people tend you know no matter what your aesthetic or your design is, people can can spot you know craftsmanship and and just and realism. Mm, that's a good point. The old uh, bullshit detector, right? <laughs> sort of <laughs> that comes into play, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, can you summarize the history of Tiki quickly? I know there's a lot to it, and you you actually worked at Trader Vic, so you have uh, some, even more insight than than anybody, so uh, <laughs> or than most. So, uh, can you just kind of summarize the uh, the Tiki movement and where where it started? Well, it began really with Don the Beachcomber in Hollywood, 1933. He opened his first venue right at the very end of Prohibition. Um, he'd been collecting lots of uh, bits and bobbles and flotsam and jetsam from um, his travels around the South Pacific, and he hung them all up and made this kind of imaginary escapist sort of beach shack destination with a uh, with these really interesting and unusual cocktails, which were inspired by the the drinks of the Caribbean. So you've got a kind of an unusual, you've got very much a mainland uh, imaginary concept that infuses the aesthetic and look of the South Pacific with the cocktails, or at least a sort of uh, evolution of the cocktails of the Caribbean. Um, so, and he opens at a time when, of course, Americans weren't traveling, didn't see much of the world around them. There's no color TV, there's no internet. So, um, and particularly that he opens during the Depression, so that there's people, you know, this is a really wonderful escape for people. This is a way of kind of getting away from the malaise of things. And as time goes on, and and, and it gets, it grows and expands and becomes more elaborate and more codified in its look and feel that that. Um, you know, America evolves. Of course, we go through World War II, of course, but we come back and we have um, things like South Pacific help get people more excited about it. Hawaiian statehood gets people more excited about it. And pretty soon that the, this, you know, by Eisenhower's America, these these bars aren't an escape from the rigors of, of war or um, or of, of the Depression, but are just are an escape from the from the Protestant work ethic of a booming of a booming 1950s Eisenhower America, and so these places represent more and more a place now to to loosen your tie and take your hat off and try to escape the rat race for a few minutes and, and try to relax. So that's a um, that's what's uh, that's what's kind of special about them, and that's what continued to that's what why they continued to succeed well into the 60s and even into the 70s is that they offered a really special experience wow that's really cool uh, escapism as a bar should be right as a good bar should absolutely be. <laughs> and it's you know it's a, an opportunity to go to a windowless space where you can forget about your troubles and just kind of unwind and it's it's wonderful 
That's great. Um, so let's get into uh, tiki recipes a little bit. I, um, tiki recipes are, are often uh, quite elaborate, and uh, for one thing, they, um, as opposed to other styles, you you, you often see uh, multiple types of rum uh, go into a, a drink. You know, you don't you don't often see a cocktail that calls for you know two different types of bourbon or whiskey in general, right? No, I mean that's you know nobody ever made a gin you know martini with three gins, right. so it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 great. It's got a um, it's got a uh, you know that's that's you know here's Don Beach and he's in his kitchen plugging away and working on a working on a uh, working on a, working on drinks and and he says okay so I've got this terrific drink here and it's got two ounces of Jamaican rum in it and it's lovely and it tastes good I like it I like what's happening here but you know it's a little heavy this Jamaican rum's a little pungent it's a little strong it's kind of overwhelming some of the other ingredients maybe I should try um, one ounce of Jamaican and one ounce of a Cuban rum and fuse them together you know I mean this is so I don't lose the integrity of the drink, you know, I still have the structural integrity of the drink, but maybe it's a little bit more balanced, maybe uh, putting in a little bit of a smoky Demerara or a little bit of a, you know, a sort of a floral Martinique rum will make it a little bit, will agree with the other ingredients. So I think that's the, um, I think that was what really the genius. It doesn't seem that exotic, you know, in hindsight in 2016, but nobody had ever done this before. Nobody had ever blended spirits like this. So it had, it had a really unique, uh, it had a really, it created a really unique flavor profile. Certainly people in Jamaica, you know, if they had a Jamaican cocktail, they made it with Jamaican rum. Nobody had thought to go and get rum from somewhere else. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a really innovative effect and it does do something that, you know, creates these more complex and layered flavor profiles that, could wouldn't have been a possible otherwise. Right, right, and and rum itself is often blended from different regions, right? Well, certain there are merchant bottlers out there who are you know putting things together um, from different blends, and that's that's an old tradition as well. So you'll definitely find things where they're mixing different countries' rums and things like that. But it's uh, it was probably ultimately a little bit smaller than what would have been in the past. I mean, that would have been you know at that. You know, during the tiki era, it was probably easier to find rums from a single country than it would be mm. from um, a blended ones. Right, right, right. And um, so the uh, Mai Tai is obviously the iconic uh, tiki drink. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was just looking at your recipe here and I'm like – and I – just occur. I, I always try to memorize recipes by relating it to you know it's a whatever it's a Manhattan plus whatever you know. So I'm looking at this recipe. And I'm like, this, this looks suspiciously like a uh, margarita recipe. <laughs> it's a nutty rum margarita at yeah. the end of the day, and it's a uh, it's it, that's kind of what's so elegant about its simplicity. That's the that's the beauty of it. Is here's Vic saying, I've got this beautiful long aged pot still Jamaican rum, and it's wonderful and it's pungent, and it's flavorful, and I want to just put ingredients around it that are gently supportive. You know, a little bit of that Orja Vic's kind of secret weapon, this almond syrup. And he's saying this has got you know this is a this is a flavor that agrees with rum really beautifully. Of course, lime and sugar are already rum's two best friends, um, and then a little bit of orange curacao. So just that kind of that nice those nice orange and almond notes, and, and you're done. That's it. So everything you can see when you look at the Mai Tai recipe, all the other ingredients are in really small proportions. Compared to the rum, it's it, it's a, a simple drink designed to let the rum just showcase. And much like a margarita, it has the same kind of nice quality about it that you know mar- the margarita is the flawless vehicle for tequila, and it doesn't you know that and it works with a lot of tequilas. And similarly, the mai tai is 
a wonderful vehicle for rums and works really well with a wide variety of rums. Mm. Is Orgeat something that's been around f- for a long time, or is that Oh, yeah, that- traditional French ingredient goes back a long, long time. Vic's parents owned a French grocery store, and they were of French descent, so Orgeat is a flavor he would have known his whole life. Um, Orgeat was basically a – started off life um, as a barley syrup, um, you know, something to kind of preserve um, – barley for the winter or outside of the harvest, um, a way to, you know, have kind of barley and, and I guess a way to get kind of carbs in the winter. Um, and then, you know, obviously barley syrup is not that exciting. So people would start to add almond to it for a little bit more flavor. And then eventually it just became all almond. Uh, it kind of evolved. Oh, got it. Yeah. Um, and apparently I've been saying it wrong. I always said orgeat, but the tea is silent. The tea is silent. I have heard the tea hit in some by some French speakers, and I've had the, heard the tea silent by other French speakers. When the the, the tea was silent, I met a I met a French Orja producer in France, and he didn't pronounce the tea, and I took that to be my definitive answer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you always need one of those. That's this is what I'm going with. <laughs> yep. Um, so, and you, the um, simple syrup you made, well, not it's a rich demerara syrup that you, that, that you call for in your Mai Tai recipe is uh, really interesting. And it, has, um, and it has a little vanilla in it and some salt, which I find very useful in cocktails myself. Yeah, salt's, salt is a, uh, you know, we've been doing it since we opened in, in 09. We've been salting our, um, we've been salting our um, coconut syrup and our... Um, and our and our mai tai syrup just is it's just a small amount that you know just salt is a flavor enhancer and even in a tiny amount it adds it helps to kind of boost the richness of the demerara sugar and of the almond as well um the vanilla is just sort of a the vanilla is sort of an interesting um it's very very small amount designed just to be a little accent note and it, and, and kind of also provide almost the Additional vanilla you'd get from a longer aged rum. The, the more vanillin would be extracted from uh, from the oak cask. So, um, since it's just a small amount of the syrup, and we just wanted it to be intensely concentrated, little um, a concentrated little hit that had a little bit of that salt in it. That's been kind of the uh, that's been that's just been you know I, I honestly it's it, it only makes a small impact in a regular two to one rich syrup yeah. would would be fine as well. But um, but it, it's you know, kind of what gives us our a little bit of our house flavor without taking the Mai Tai into some kind of weird direction. Right, right. Well, I guess we should talk about that too. The, uh, the, the There's always been a tradition of um, secretiveness, I guess is the word I'm looking for, uh-huh. in, uh, in, in the tiki world, right? Yeah. You know, it started with Don. He started putting all of his ingredients in his back bar into unmarked coated bottles <laughs> so that the bartenders would only know the ratio of the ingredients, but they wouldn't know what was actually in the bottles. So, it, so helped. it was a method to help uh, prevent the bartenders from being poached by rival bar owners who wanted to unlock the secret of the zombie. <laughs> so it was a, kind of a genius method, but it also hastened the downfall of, of Tiki in a lot of ways because it, it became, you know, Tiki ingredients and recipes became such closely guarded secrets, or even when they were divulged, they turned into kind of a game of tiki telephone, where you'd, you know, you'd share the ingredients, and they'd kind of evolve with time and change. And um, so, 
it it uh, it was a fun technique though, and it was part of the kind of part of the mystique. Don's old menu doesn't have any, just names the drink and the price, doesn't list any ingredients or anything. It just says <laughs> this is this is it. You know, what's in it? Well, as you know, Ray Buen used to say at the Tiki Tea, it's just rum and fruit juice. You know, it's all there. Is. Just don't stop asking questions. You don't really want to talk about it. The tiki Tea today in Los Angeles still keeps all of their Tiki Tea keeps all of their recipe secrets still, and it's. Um, um, it's a you know wonderful tradition that they've they've carried on from the day they opened fifty five years ago. Right, and you uh, kept that tradition up in your book with one recipe. Right? We do. We <laughs> we keep it at the yeah one drink at the bar, our smugglers rum barrel. We we put together a mix of several ingredients called um, smugglers mix, and we our bartenders have no idea what it is. It's just this. Um, I, we make it off site where no one can see away from prying eyes, and then bring it in and they just have it in a little squeezy bottle and they don't really know what it is. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> and we, we don't know either. It's uh, blocked out in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, how about the, uh, the scorpion bowl? That's a, that's a cool, uh, tradition. What, did, what, it is. Vic was the, uh, Vic was as near as anyone can tell as, as, as far as I've been able to find out, Vic was the person who brought that together by combining this, by bringing together these traditions of the classic tradition of the punch bowl, which had been popular for hundreds of years, but had fallen out of favor by the time Vicks opened, and as and the sort of the tradition of this all-day drinking and kava bowl traditions of from the South Pacific, he thought, well, I'll just um, you know I'll, I'll bring this all back. I'll bring the punch back because I find the communal drinking experience to be really entertaining. But rather than dainty little punch cups, I'm just going to give everybody a really long straw. <laughs> and people, you know, got a kick out of it immediately. And they still do. You know, we we see tons of bowls coming across, and um, it's a it's a real. Uh, you know, it's real fun for people because they get to share it and it's communal and your faces are all close to each other and you're just, you know, talking with your friends and, you know, no one's holding a phone up or anything, you know, <laughs> you know staring into their Facebook. They're just, they're just uh, talking to each other. It's a, that's what makes it special It's just to, you know, to engage. That's cool. Well, there's a great picture in your book of uh, about 10 people drinking out of one. That's really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but there's also this um, tradition of using, uh, well, the, the scorpion in particular has uh, brandy. The, the scorpion in particular has uh, brandy and gin. And uh, so there are, there are several classic tiki drinks that include unusual, uh, not unusual, but spirits other than rum. That was uh, one of Vic's big uh, innovations. Vic not only went to other spirits periodically um, for his exotic cocktails, but he also blended base spirits, uh, not just blending rums, but blending rum and brandy or rum, brandy, and gin or things like that. That was a uh, that was something nobody else had really done either, and so that was a uh, um, an unusual combination at the time. So. It, um, and that adds, you know, just more depth and complexity, and and it doesn't have anything to do, you know, this whole, you know, this kind of old myth that continues to thrive of, oh, I can't mix my liquors, or you know, yeah. you know, it's all just hoo ha. So it's, uh, yeah. Um, so this, you know, Vic was throwing the gauntlet down against that a long time ago. That's cool. Let me ask you: Do you um, fine strain your lime juice? Because that's something I've been uh, flip flopping back and forth on myself behind the bar. We do well as we're juicing it. We strain it um, um, during the juicing process. We have a we have a uh, we have a, a French strainer, and we we uh, take most of the pulp out. Uh, excessive pulp in the juice tends to make it age a little faster. Mm. So it tends to develop. The turpines can develop a little bit faster when there's more uh, when there's more pulp in the juice. So 
we start with that, and then as we, you know, and then to use the lime juice in a cocktail. When, when, certainly, if you're if you're baking something on the stem and shaking and straining, we always double strain. Um, we don't double strain into a rocks glass with ice or anything, but uh, if it's a you know served over ice, but but we do double strain for appearance sake. Mostly less so because less so for the lime pulp um, because there's not much left, but more so for the ice shards. Sure. To keep those out. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, but, well, that's uh, yeah, that's no, interesting. I think, it's, uh, you know, I, think the, uh, I think you can get a, a better a better juice, and it's more aesthetically appealing with with less uh, chunky bits in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I, you know I've been going back and forth and thinking, well, is this going to add like a little more body, you know, to my margaritas and other drinks like that? Um, but, right. But I'm, well, I'm, pulp in a margarita, especially if you know if it's on the rocks and it's you know it's it's you know I think that's fine if it's got you know there's you know that lends some texture. It's just when it's on the stem, I don't want to have all that. Stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I saw you have a uh, rum tasting club at your bar. That's really fun. We do Rum Bustion Society. It's called, and we uh, we have oh shoot, we've got uh, at least eighty members who have uh, about eighty members who have hit a minimum of one hundred different rums at the bar, and we now have nine. In fact, as of last night, we have our ninth member that's drank five hundred different rums at the bar. So <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so yeah, it's great. We do, and when they reach the 300 level, we take them to a distillery. We just took a great crew to Privateer Distilling in Ipswich, Mass, and had a wonderful day spent with their master distiller and and really getting a hands-on experience of how the, this uh, these terrific rum is made. Um, and then we have special events and guest speakers. Last night, in fact, we had uh, David Morrison, senior blender from Appleton Rum in Jamaica, was doing a private uh, give a private presentation to our club members. So these little, uh, you know, these these what we've done is we've really created a community of people who really want to learn and explore and and understand what uh, what's going into their bodies at a at a you know at a deeper level. So. That's great. It's so fun, isn't it, when you can educate people on something that you're passionate about? Absolutely, and it's you know it's learning while drinking. It's more fun than anything else, right? Well, exactly. Easy, easy PowerPoint is good times. <laughs> That's why we love Tales of the Cotdale so much. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll let you go. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, is there is there a um, is there a rum that uh, you're really excited about? Something that you know you can recommend that people go out and seek out. Well, I can shamelessly recommend a brand new rum that's coming out uh, oh. in about uh, a month or so. It should be available. It will be nationwide. It will ultimately be worldwide. It's called OFTD. It's from our friends at Plantation Rums, and it's their new uh, Overproof. Uh, it's an Overproof black blended style of rum. It's made with Jamaican and Guyana uh, pot still and Barbados blended rum, and it's a uh, 69% ABV rum designed to be big and, and, and meaty and wonderful, particularly in exotic cocktails. And I was one of the uh, people who helped consult on it, along with Jeff Barry and Paul McGee and Scotty Shooter and uh, and a few other luminaries, including uh, Dave Wondrich. And we all uh, sort of tested it and beta tested it and drank it and figured it out together. And it's, uh, and it's, uh, we're really happy with it. And, um, you know, I, I'm not actually on the payroll, nor do I get any royalties, so I don't feel bad about recommending it. So, <laughs> um, but it's a uh, it's it's a really lovely uh, it's a really lovely rum, and it's great in exotic cocktails. Well, cool. So, well, sir, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to maybe sharing a little rum with you one day. Sounds great, Brian. Thanks so much. All right, Martin. Cheers. Thanks again. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Well, there you have it, Martin Kate guy who's making a lot of waves in the bar industry these days great guy 
and I uh, really enjoyed speaking with him. Stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the uh, very end of the show. Uh, but first, I'll remind you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. You can find me on Facebook. Well, you can find the Bartender Journey page on Facebook. Uh, just search for Bartender Journey. You can find me on Twitter at Bar Keep Tips. You can find me on Instagram as Bartender Journey. So uh, I hope you're subscribed to the show. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. If you have any questions about how to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that. You can find a lot of information about that on bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe. And uh, that way you'll get the shows downloaded to your phone as soon as they become available. And uh, well, the website, I forgot to mention, is bartenderjourney.net. And uh, head over there for some show notes, links, and uh, lots of great information on bartenderjourney.net. All right, here's our toast. May your troubles be as far and few between as my grandmother's teeth. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast.